Good morning, church. It is great to be with you. We are Glendale Church in Los Angeles. We consider ourselves to be a home in LA, but wherever you happen to be watching from, you have a home here. I want to echo what Grant shared, that we are so thankful for your generosity and your continued giving and support. We are extremely thankful for that and the ways that people are being sacrificial even during this time. I had a friend who asked me, as a minister, what are you doing during this time? You're built on, you know, working with people. And I have to say, it has been a little weird, a little bit strange to consider running an organization that is built on people meeting together. It feels like I'm doing ministry with two hands tied behind my back a little bit, which looks a lot like this. And we're trying to figure this out together. But our staff, I'm so proud of us. We are working really hard. I told my friend, in some ways, I think I'm working harder than ever because we are trying as a staff and as a church to not only do a good job of reaching out to you, holding Zoom meetings and uh, reaching out through phone calls, but we also want to try to have a message of hope for anybody. And so we've gotten the opportunity to do that through our YouTube channel. You can also watch our stuff live on Facebook. And I have to tell you, we are reaching way more people than we ever have. And so I'm so thankful to you for your support. And if you're somebody who's new and maybe hasn't ever been at our church before, if you would like to join us in financially supporting this ministry, you can go to glendale.church give, and we would love to have you join the ministry here and be partners in what it is that we're doing, because we are really, I think, working harder than ever to try and spread the message of hope amongst our congregation as we encourage everybody who needs it, but also way beyond our walls. And in some ways, God has opened some fantastic doors for that. So thank you again, as Grant said, for your continued generosity. And if you're able to give financially to this ministry, we would love to have that support. So please pray about that. As that awesome bumper video just showed with my violin solo, we're starting a new series today called The Quarantined Church. A couple pastor buddies and I were talking about how we could do a good job of communicating well during the season and what parts of the Bible specifically speak to this season. And we couldn't help but think of four letters that Paul writes in the New Testament where he's under house arrest, or you might call it quarantine. He writes the book of Colossians, the book of Philemon, the book of Ephesians, and the book of Philippians from house arrest. I hope that you've read the book of Colossians because that's the one that we're going to look at today. All of these books could be read in a very short amount of time. But in some ways, I would argue that you find Paul more hopeful in these books than in all of his other work. I know it's a little bit intimidating to hear that someone like Paul wrote books of the New Testament while he was in house arrest. You might be thinking, wow, since I've been in quarantine, we haven't even organized our Tupperware drawer And don't look at anybody on the couch near you right now who may or may not be doing the things that he or she promised they were going to do during quarantine. But Paul had a little bit more time than we did. He actually spent two years in this house arrest. So it's a little bit more time, hopefully, than we have to endure this. But Paul didn't just sit around. And these words, I would argue, still change the world. And I have to admit that It was likely just as hard for Paul to sit there as it is for you. If you read about the ministry of Paul, the back half of the book of Acts, he is a doer. He's type A. He is going all over the place spreading the gospel. He is transformed by his encounter with a risen Lord, and he just can't help but tell people about it. 
He goes all over the place, ministers as much as he possibly can, and then everything is stopped. And for Paul, he would probably say this season of life was frustrating. It was hard. But I think it was extremely fruitful. And I still believe that God can work through quarantine. I still believe that God can work through us, especially as we slow down a little bit. Honestly, so many of us, and I would include myself in this, we use the word busy to describe ourselves. It's a badge of honor in some ways. It's a way of saying, you know, I'm important. And right now, you probably aren't as busy. Could you use that time to do some work in your heart? Because maybe you need to put Christ at the center of your life, which I think Colossians urges us to do. There have been many moments in my life when idols have been smashed. And I have to tell you, it's not always comfortable. It's not something that I look forward to. It's not something that I say that was super easy. My brother is a couple years younger than me. And so I took great pride in beating him at basketball for most of our young life. It was pretty easy, just go out in the backyard and still a pretty good shooter. That's pretty much all I can do. But I would play basketball in the backyard with my brother. And there were points when I was way better than him. And there were points where it got a little bit closer. He was almost as good as me. And then there were points when we were very even. And I have to tell you, Those experiences involve many basketballs being thrown in the backyard, and Brent always fouled me way too hard. That's actually one of the great things about being a preacher, is you can clear up anything without the other person having a chance to respond. But I remember many times in the backyard yelling at my brother, throwing basketballs back and forth, but unfortunately there came a day when there was no denying he was better than me. And it was him who could easily beat me without much work at all. And I'll tell you, that was a very humbling season of my life, and it was hard. But I'd also tell you that I'm extremely thankful for it. It has helped me to be somebody who tries my best and puts out my best effort, but I know whether it's in sports or in any sort of other arena, the important thing is that I truly can tell myself, yeah, at the end of the day, I really gave that my best effort. And it's not me constantly looking to the right or to the left to compare myself to others. That's been a great gift, even though it's medicine that I didn't necessarily want to take. I know that I can see people if I go play basketball from time to time who are in their mid-40s, And they still haven't learned this lesson. And I'm telling you, it's not a good look to be throwing a basketball in your mid-40s. I'm glad I got it out of the way when I was 16. It's in moments in all of our lives when idols are smashed that we stand back and we think about what it is that we truly are living for. I saw a great meme going around that said this. It seems like it is just great meme time. Um, apparently, go back one slide. Uh, 
sometimes, all right, <laughs> turns out my three favorite hobbies are number one, eating at restaurants, number two, going to non-essential businesses, and number three, touching my face. All of us can laugh at that because we're all having that experience. There's wonderful memes going around because all of us are having common experiences. It's in moments when you're deprived of stuff that you realize how much you depended on it. You know, sometimes that is true. When you are deprived of something, you realize how much you depended on it. And perhaps you realize how much of your identity was tied up in that thing. Paul, during his time of quarantine... I think he reflects on this. The question you might have, which I'll answer in just just a a few moments, is how did Paul end up in house arrest? Really, there are many chapters in the back from basically chapter 20 on of the book of Acts that you could go and read more of this in detail, but I'll give you the the 30-second view. On his third missionary journey, he's collecting money from Gentile churches to bless the church that was primarily Jewish in Jerusalem. That was so much of Paul's ministry, bringing the Gentiles and Jews together. But he runs into some problems because he didn't have many fans in Jerusalem. And so he ends up under arrest. And the only thing that saved his life was a Roman official who stood between Paul and an angry mob. They take him to Herod's palace. And then they realize after several different attempts that he's not going to be able to have a fair trial there. So Paul appeals as a Roman citizen to Rome. So he gets the opportunity to go and be tried in Rome. As he's going there, his ship almost wrecks. It's a whole lot of crazy stuff that happens. But he finally gets to Rome, and he gets somewhat well-known around there, and they realize that he's not much of a threat. And so they allow him to be in house arrest instead of being held somewhere else. So a couple verses that describe this. In Acts chapter 28, verse 16, it tells us, When we got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. Just a few verses later, it tells us this. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house. And I love that detail. He paid his own way and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Imagine what it would be like to be a Roman guard who was forced to be chained or watch over Paul. As Paul continues to preach, people get to come and visit him. It's truly incredible to think about the work that Paul did as he was under house arrest because what he wrote changed and still changes the world. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 24, he says, Now I rejoice in what I'm suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. He explains, this is difficult. I'm, I'm suffering here. This is hard for me. But I recognize that as I struggle, I connect with Christ's afflictions. And even in this suffering and this struggle, I can be a blessing to the church. I can minister to you even though I'm not with you. Then he says in Colossians chapter 4 towards the end of the book, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. 
Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. I got to tell you, that is really troubling in some ways for me to hear and, and very convicting. He says, pray that every door may be opened. And if I find myself in Roman prison, I'm asking for prayers that the door to the house becomes open, right? I'm asking that, yeah, I, I get off this. Please pray that I one day won't have to be chained to a guard. Pray that God will deliver me from this situation. But when Paul says pray for an open door, he says pray for an open door for the gospel that I may tell more people about who Jesus is. This is what I think is so convicting about the book of Colossians. For Paul, Jesus gets way bigger as he's in chains. As his activity is slowed down, it's like he becomes more in tune with God's activity. And I would argue that Colossians, Philippians, Philemon, and Ephesians are four of the most hopeful gospel-centered messages that we have. And they're way more hopeful, in my opinion, than some of Paul's other work. He's centered on God in this moment, and he recognizes that God can even use this hard time. That's a message that especially now I need to hear. My family one time was at a church, and they had a prayer request time when I was growing up. And when someone would say something that they were thankful for, like a uh, gerbil got healed of a disease or something, the person up front would say, God is good. And the congregation would respond, all the time. And the person up front would say, all the time. And the congregation would respond, God is good. And whenever someone would say something that was, they were thankful for, that was how the call and response would go. But then if someone said something that they needed prayers for, that they were struggling with, that they were really concerned about, the person up front would just silently write it down. And I get it, because it's hard when someone says, you know, I have a cancer diagnosis, or I lost a loved one, to say God is good all the time. I think Paul would say that God is. That God's work and activity aren't seen only during hard seasons, but also in difficult ones. And I would give a hearty amen to that, because there's a lot in my life that I wouldn't wish on somebody that I don't like. But I'm thankful in some ways that I've gone through it. And for Paul, as he sits and reflects, I think, on his life, God gets so much bigger. As we are stuck at home for an unknown amount of time, as we wonder how long this pandemic is going to wreak havoc on life as we know it, what is the new normal going to look like? Will it ever feel like it did before this happened? I think Paul would say to you, Jesus is enough. 
One thing that Paul is dealing with in the book of Colossians is there's a heresy that has sprung up, and what he tries to lean on is just simply Jesus is enough. Hear these beautiful words from Colossians 1, 15 through 20. And I would argue that these are some of the biggest phrases about Jesus in all of Scripture. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He's before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile himself to all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross." Isn't it remarkable that was written in house arrest? Think of these bold things that Paul says as Christ just gets bigger and bigger for him. Christ is the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn over all creation. He's the beginning and the firstborn among the dead. Christ has supremacy over all things. All of God's fullness dwells in him. And it's sad that during this series we can't dive down deep into any sections of some of these books because really you could do many, many sermons from each of these books. We're trying to do this view where we step back a little bit, though. Just think, Paul writes that from house arrest. He encourages us all as we sit in a very different season of life to wonder at the mystery of God's goodness and the fact that God was very much with Paul and worked through Paul at a season of life that he would call frustrating. Later in Colossians chapter 1, he says this, To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Jesus is enough. There's a book called Jesus Plus Nothing Equals Everything. And in it, the author Tulian Chishvedian says, daily Christian living, in other words, is daily Christian dying, Dying to our trivial comforts, soul-shrinking conveniences, arrogant preferences, and self-centered entitlements. and Living for something much larger than what makes us comfortable and safe. I think this quote is beautiful. And I know that some people are really struggling right now. I don't want to make light of that. But I know for me, I've learned that there are many comforts that I lean on that I simply can't have right now. I've been deprived of a lot of stuff. And would Paul say, but Brian, is Christ enough? And I might struggle to answer yes, but Paul would say that Christ is. Christ is in all of us. Christ still is in all of us. 
many of us, one of the things that I would say that we're struggling with is we're struggling with some idols that need to be broken down. Perhaps you've just been self-sufficient and dependent on money. And you've been thinking about just putting a certain amount away so one day you're going to feel safe. All of a sudden, that safety net isn't there anymore. Or you've gotten your identity from work and working hard and continuing to, to do and push forward and continuing to live very busy. All of a sudden, it's gone. Maybe you're wrestling with real questions about life and, and death, and all of a sudden you feel much more afraid than you ever have. Can Christ meet you there? Paul would say, yes. How has this pandemic called you back to deeper trust in Jesus? How has it woken you up? And we don't know exactly when life will feel more normal again. Maybe six weeks, maybe ten weeks, maybe six months. What is it that you want to change about yourself moving forward? What's something, even though this has been hard and a struggle, what's something that you want to say, yeah, I, just, I want to change that about myself moving forward? What is Christ calling you to? during this time. Philosopher Soren Kierkegaard says it's this way, it's the normal state of the human heart to try and build its identity around something besides God. I think a lot of idols have been taken down right now. That's hard. But ultimately, Paul would say Christ is enough. Christ plus Nothing equals everything. C.S. Lewis, in his brilliant book, Mere Christianity, makes an observation towards the end of his chapter on pride. He says that if you actually meet a humble person, you're not going to walk away thinking, wow, that person is, is really humble. That person is a nobody. Because if someone is actually humble... They won't be telling you about how lowly they are because that's actually a sign of self-obsession if you're just talking about how poor you are. C.S. Lewis says that if you meet a truly gospel-centered person who is truly humble, you wouldn't necessarily notice it because they would be so interested in you. The essence of gospel humility is not thinking of yourselves more highly than you should or thinking of yourselves more lowly than you should. It's simply thinking of yourself less often. I think Paul realizes that as he is in this space. And for him, God gets so much bigger. And as I said, I think Paul gets happier I think he writes with a persistent hope because he's realizing just how big his God is. In Colossians chapter 2, he says, For though I am absent from you in body, I'm present with you in spirit. 
And I delight to see how disciplined you are, how firm your faith in Christ is. He says, physically, my body can't be with you, but know that my spirit is with you. And I think this is something that we commonly say, oh, I can't make your four-year-old's birthday party. Sorry, but I'll be there with you in spirit. But we don't actually really mean it. We're busy. We have something else going on. We're not going to you know, not attend the party and then just spend time you know, just praying for that party that it goes well. We're not actually meaning that. But I think Paul actually does. Paul actually believes this. That no, I'm not with you physically, but because of how big our God is, I am with you in spirit because I'm contending for you every day in prayer. And that makes a difference and it matters. And it may not look big all the time, but because of who our God is, it holds tremendous weight. Because for Paul, as things slowed down, as he was inactive, God got so much bigger. Paul got smaller. And he was happier. May you, during this time, get a chance to get a glimpse of this God. This week, go ahead and read Colossians again. It'll take you 15 minutes. And I think you'll be struck with so many passages as you think of Paul writing this from house arrest with a Roman guard watching him as he says to the group that would have read it in the first century. And he still says to us, because of how good our God is, I'm with you all in spirit. And suddenly, where you are in body doesn't matter quite as much anymore. May we walk out of this season with an understanding of how big our God is and how that makes a huge difference on all of our lives. And may some of the idols that are smashed during this season not be put back together so that normal on the other side of this doesn't look the same. May we still try to think of ourselves less often and focus on how we can show the love of Christ to the world. Let's pray together. God, we are thankful for these words of Paul, which honestly are very challenging that we struggle with. And I know people who are watching this are at different stages coping and dealing with this pandemic. Paul was in a place where he was fearful for his life as well. May we find words of hope and how he persists in this view of just how big God is. As his inactivity slows down, he recognizes just how big God is in the world. May we see the same thing and press into your hope for our world. May we think of ourselves less and lean more into how the world really is. In your son, Jesus' name I pray. Amen.